There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I just pray that, again, beyond just the silliness of making our own poses and whatnot, that whatever stress has been leading up to this moment, whatever things would be weighing on our minds or trying and disrupt our focus from you this morning, God, you would silence all of that. And God, that we look at this day as, as many look as a day to celebrate love, and we think of your amazing love for us. And so, Father, would we experience you, experience your love by your word, through your spirit. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So again, as we have been making our way through the book of Exodus, last week we saw this event that, that was culminating tonight between the Passover and then the actual Exodus. They left Egypt. God has taken his people from Egypt through the Red Sea. And we read in the last chapter... But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And again, when we looked at this last week, what we, we are challenging ourselves to do is, is if you want to see God, do a great work in your life. Then follow his direction, even when it leads to the illogical, even when the rest of the world would look at you and say, that is backwards, that doesn't make sense. But the Lord has led by his word, will we follow? When you find yourself, what seems like in a trap of life, at maybe your lowest moment, when the troubles of this world surround you, when it looks as though following God has led you into that very trap to know to stand still and know as Moses reminded the people to stand still and know that the Lord would fight for them but that then when the Lord showed his promised way to move and so they have moved through the Red Sea they have seen God be victorious over Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt and as chapter 15 opens up we're actually going to jump all the way down to uh, verse 22 but just as we, we kind of see through it, is 15, 1 through 8 is this song of Moses. And I would encourage any of you guys to go back uh, and, and read through that. We kind of read through a little bit of it last week. But here's just something interesting for those, those first 18 verses that's called the song of Moses. Just know, is that's a song that literally is a song of triumph that will be echoed in Revelation chapter 15. No joke. Revelation chapter 15 will speak of another victorious song of, of God bringing people through a trial and tribulation, and it says that they will sing out the song of Moses. 
Now also just kind of an interesting thing. In Exodus chapter 15, uh, 21, you'll notice that it mentions Miriam. I just like to point this out because it's kind of a little fun. If you don't remember, Miriam is Moses' older sister. Moses is about 83 years old. We're talking about oh, probably an 80-year-old lady grabbing up on a tambourine, jumping around singing because of how great God is. So just, again, sometimes we, we lose the imagery of what's happened. But this 90-year-old lady is so excited. And it's very cool also, again, for all the ladies in the room, is that she is called a prophetess. That she is a prophet of God, and what she does is she grabs that tambourine, and just with the youngins, she's out there jumping around, singing, and crying out to the Lord about how awesome he is. Now, we started off with chapter 20, or verse 25 today, but there's always a, there'd be another focus verse I'd want to give you guys, for those who like to take notes. It's 2 Timothy 2.13. That says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And just hear that, take that, write that down as we move through these next few verses. So uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Now there's a gentleman by the name of Jamie Buckingham. And now he is an expert in, in desert living. And, and he kind of, uh, he, he's also a believer and has made some interesting notes here. Is that he talks about the, the chemicals in, in the sap of a broken limb. They would have been able to draw mineral content down to the bottom of the pools and they would have left only good water on the top. He further actually goes on to speculate that even though the waters were now drinkable, there would still be a significant amount of magnesium and calcium content in the water. And my knee imagery, this combination would have had a, a laxative effect. And this laxative effect would have actually been something that would have cleaned out the digestive tract of the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, cleansing them from common Egyptian ailments such as amoebic dysentery and a weakness disease common among the Egyptian pe peasants. In addition, calcium and magnesium together form the basis of a drug called dolomite, which is used by some athletes as a performance enhancer in hot weather. Now, I say this because some people will, will go to these amazing things that you know scientists look at and these people who have been in the de desertness, and, and they even talk about that many in this region, when they came to these bitter pools, they knew that there was this branch to do that. And, and now, for some reason, people want to like feel like they got to pick a side that somehow, well, if you go with a spiritual element or miraculous thing that God's doing, uh, that somehow that negates or somehow you can't go with again these these very reasonable or scientific moments. Now, there are definitely times, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, where. Scripture doesn't imply any of that, but here it simply says that God showed them a tree and that it was the right tree for the right pool, the right top of water, but as they looked at that, even though that knowledge would have been there, is what God is doing here is though, yes, this branch that we, we can see that God would have been using to, to not only be making the water so that they could drink the water, but actually it would be something that would make them healthier for their travels going forward. Again, cleansing out that digestive tract and, and giving them this, this calcium-magnesium combo that is perfect for hot weather travel. Now, David Guzik, looking at this scientific imagery, but looking at this entire scenario, gives us this amazing 
uh, commentary on the situation. It says, at Mara, God provided the right medicine to both clean out their systems and prepare them for a long, hot, hot march to Sinai. We can say that God was not only interested in getting the children of Israel out of Egypt, he also wanted to get Egypt out of the children of Israel, both physically and spiritually. And so we're going to see that, that there's going to be a continual theme that God has moved his children out of Egypt and now becomes the process of getting Egypt out of his children. Also, something that I don't want us to, to really pass over here is that, again, just think about this. What did God have Moses do to part the Red Sea? Raise the staff. Okay, why didn't he just drop the staff in the, the water? Why did he do this? Is, is that No, it was this imagery of, of pointing to a tree. And, and again, this is language that God is purposely using is that he showed him a tree. John 16, tells us that these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Christ overcame this world on the tree of Calvary. And what this, this moment is to remind you, you can have these amazing moments where God brings you into new life and you can have a, 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 almost a, a misconception. And for some reason, so many have that Placing your faith in Christ means that for some reason life is going to be rainbow and sunshines and that then when we encounter the bitterness of life, we feel that somehow our faith is being rocked and that's not at all what God has said. In fact, they have just come out of amazing victory and just in a short time are facing the bitter reality of life. But all of it pointing for Christ to show, this is what I do, is that he takes by his tree a bitter situation and makes it sweet. And it is by the cross of Calvary, the tree of Calvary, that you can take that cross, you can take that tree of Calvary, and no matter how bitter the situation you find yourself in, by placing the cross in the midst of it, there's a sweetness that God provides. It says, there he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and seven palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Again, if you start hearing some of this language that they, they just come out and you hear things like tested, made true, that's what that word is. It's, it's, it's to purify. It's again, he's, he's, he's strengthening. And how is he doing that? By providing a statute and an ordinance. This is law and order. This is the language of a nation, of citizenship. And then by no coincidence, there's this imagery again that God is providing here just in the dynamic of this place that he takes them from the place of bitterness by the tree makes it sweet. And the next place he provides is a place with these 12 pools and these 70 trees. Again, this imagery of Eden. Think about, again, how God is going to uh, later just kind of ornate his tabernacle and temple. And even here, the number 70 is actually a number that represents nations. And if you know, again, you, you kind of your, your biblical numbers, 12 is the number for the nation of Israel. This is God's family. Michael uh, Heiser has a very interesting comment on this. I really like it. It says, for an Israelite reading Exodus 15, 27, they would have said, ah, a limb, the palm trees in the well-watered garden. And God took us out of the realm of the dead 
through Shehor and delivered us from death. He has made us new. He raised us to life. We are reborn as a nation. So the, the 70 points to, again, the, the 70 nations is this idea of, of nationalism. And it's very clear that the nations are supposed to be in God's family. In other words, what's happening here, again, this can be so quickly passed over because we, we can miss this, is as God has brought them from death to life, he's taken them from bitterness to sweet and now provides them this, this garden to rest in. And what he is communicating and what he is doing is this is Babel reversed. The nations are not supposed to be forgotten. Babel is supposed to be reversed and restored. And what this is telling us right here in this moment of Exodus is that God's family comes from all tribes and all nations. Again, 70 is a numerical conception or conceptual reminder of that. And if the 12 points to Israel as Yahweh's family, then this whole moment is telegraphing God's desire to have these people in his home. Again, it's, it's, an, it's a textual allusion back to the nations in Genesis 10. And they are now being included in the covenant with Abraham's. God's intention is not only that ethnic Israelites be in his, in his human family. In fact, anyone who assigns their exclusive believing loyalty to Yahweh is a true Israelite, a true seed of Abraham. And that is why Paul explicitly says this in Galatians chapter 3. Where in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and 9, it says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham before saying, and you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. With that, we move to uh, Genesis, or Exodus chapter 16. And we're going to read through a majority of this, so hang on with me. And they journeyed from Elim and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they parted from the land of Egypt. Why is he giving us these numbers? We're a month out from the Exodus. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Again, remember, these are the guys who when they saw Pharaoh's army charging in on them said, What, Moses, there wasn't enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to die? Now they're a month later out and they're going, oh man, I wish we would have just died back in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For have you brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger? And you go, wait a second, pot of meat, bread. Are you talking about the Passover that was a month ago, the Passover that God provided? So in one month after giving the provision of the Passover, did you forget about the slavery, the bondage, the forced labor, having your children murdered. Then Moses said, behold, I will rain bread from heaven. And I don't know about you guys, I read that moment and I think, okay, they're complaining, all this, it was enough, great. And you're like, okay, and Moses said, and you're in, and God rained down fire and said, I'm gonna smoke y'all, stop complaining. And God goes, okay, I'm gonna rain down bread from heaven. Even Moses had to be like, wait, What's, what's going on here? But this is our God. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. 
and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And that shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. And it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So again, here we see the six and one that God established all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It's God doing all of this to, to remind his people who he is, what he has done for them, and who he has made them to be, and all bringing us back to the place of God going, I just want to be in close relationship with you. Remember when we used to be able to just walk in the garden together, God doing everything to remind us that, that when we place our faith in him, we become citizens of his nation, of his kingdom, of his family. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen. The Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. What are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, to say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So guys, again, you can kind of miss over this. People are complaining to Moses in there. What, you just brought us out to kill us? And Moses is going, do you not see the pillar of fire at night or the giant pillar of cloud during the day? It moves, I move. So if you're complaining about against me, I'm just following God. Oh, that I wish that each and every one of us could do the same thing. That when people come against us for the way we live our lives, that we could say, look, I'm just following his word. This is what God said. So if you have an issue with how I live my life or the truth that I state, your issue is not with me. I love you. I get it. It's confusing. Your issue is not with me, but it's with God. Again, I just I wish that would be something that we could say that we know, not based on any kind of preconceived notions of what we think God would say or what we want God to say, but we could firmly stand and know that whatever I'm doing, living, and saying, I'm just echoing God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew laid all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. So again, you guys get this? As God says, okay, I'm going to provide daily bread for them. Uh, it's going to show up they need to pick it up and everyone's going to take their fill but 
just for yourself. So each one in your tent, take enough so that everyone has basically like a cup full and going, hey, I get it. There's some big guys. You might need to eat more. So you take a little bit more. There's uh, little dainty ones that don't need as much. And they basically go, it's all going to be even. But hey, after you're done gathering it and you make it for the day, don't save any for tomorrow because God's going to provide more. We don't get to the next verse and they don't listen. They don't listen. Ah, I'm just going to hang on to it. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stink. This is what disobedience to God always leads to. You can take an amazing great gift of God, and by disobedience, you will make it stink. It will stink. It will become repugnant to you and to those around you. Again, I cannot think of anything more than sex. I know that sounds crazy right now, but this is a gift from God that you go, God says, hey, I've got this amazing gift for you and this is my word and this is by which you can enjoy it and what we do is we take it by disobedience and we mess it all up and it becomes something that becomes repugnant and stinky and God is saying that is not, this is so many gifts that God will have for you in your life, your finances, your health, And God says, I have given you these things and I've given you instructions by which to live life and disobedience will always do this. You can take a good thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the right guy, the right girl at the wrong time is the wrong person. But I love them. I'm gonna marry them. Are you of age to get married? Have you gone through the ceremony? Is the ring on the finger? Nope, then they ain't yours. The wrong person at the wrong time is the wrong person person and right here this is something as simple as bread and again we can we can kind of laugh and giggle how could they not do that but go because we do this every day god has given them something simple like bread we can't even listen when it comes to how we gather our bread god says hey i provided you food to eat don't glutton yourself oh so you mean i can have a crunch wrap burrito two tacos and those nachos so they gathered it every morning every man according to his need and when the sun became hot it was melted and so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread two omers for each one and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses then he said to them this is what the Lord has said tomorrow is a Sabbath rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink. Hey, there you go. Disobey God, stinky all over the place. Obey God, hey, what do you know? It doesn't stink. Nor were there any worms in it. Again, the imagery is so perfect. Uh, the, then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find any in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Again, guys, the six and one repeated, and this, the one being God saying, I provided a day of rest. Not only does he provide them for their daily need, he says on the sixth day, I'm gonna give you double portion, so on the seventh, just enjoy. Sit back, rest. You don't have to go out there and gather all that food. It, you've already got it. Now it happened that some people went out on the seventh day to gather, but there's, you guys catch that again. God says, okay, six days, rest on the seventh. Don't keep any. They keep any. It stinks and turns to worms. Guys, I really meant that. Six days, on the sixth day, don't worry. I'm going to provide double so you have to rest. Seventh day, morning comes. People out there walking around, oh, where's the bread? Ah. It's so sad because it's us. 
And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given for you to enjoy. God's saying, the whole point is this. I gave you a gift of rest. He did the work so you could rest. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day of bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the house of Israel called its name manna. Okay, I'm going to go here real quick. Uh, Hebrew, the word manna, it means, what is it? That's what manna means. So literally, it says they picked it up and went, what is this? Uh, well, that's just what we're going to call it now. What is this? What is this? That's its name for the rest of forever. Okay. Angel food cake wasn't there yet, so we'll just call it, what is this? And it was like white coriander seed that tasted like it was wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is what I was talking about with like the, where people then try and come up with scientific reasons and you go, okay, that's great, except it's completely unbiblical and in no way implied by the text not like the branch and the water. So some people have tried to imply, okay, so this manna stuff, it was really just sap. And, and, and what happened is, is that ants really liked the sap. So it was there in the morning, but then the ants came and ate it. Except then you get to the part where then it kept over days. And, oh, and they're like, oh, okay, but, but see what happens is that when they try and keep it over, then the bugs get in and the worms. Except for the part where then God says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to take some of this manna, not in your daily, I want you to put it in a pot. I want you to put it up on the shelf. And that's your reminder manna. And that's going to remind you about what I have done for you. By the time we get to the end of this chapter, we're going to see that God says that this is what they're going to eat for 40 years. And so for the next 40 years, they have manicotti, banana nut bread. No, I don't know what they did with it, but you have to imagine by some point, these, these Israelite women had to get creative with the various forms of manna. They boiled it, they baked it, stuck it in a stew. No? All right. Anyways. Lord of the Rings for anybody? No? All right. They have this manna, but here they can put it on a shelf. And so now that manna, that, that, that one, that's smart manna. It knows not to get all stinky and, and buggy, but the rest of it is. That's where the, their explanation here falls apart. This was bread from heaven. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came and inhabited the land. They ate manna until the day they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now, an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Jesus is going to pick up in John chapter 6 this very moment. If you guys remember John chapter 6, Jesus does this amazing things where he sees a crowd of people and he, his heart's broken for them. Like they, they look like sheep with no shepherd. And he goes out and ministers to them. As he ministers to them, the people are without food. And this little boy shows up and is like, I got five little cupcakes and some fish. And Jesus goes, I got this. Hand it to me. Starts breaking it up. And it says that everyone ate his fill and then there's leftover. Well, that was so amazing that the people who ate the fish and loaves, it says the next day that they're like, we got to get us some more of that Jesus bread. And so they come trying to find Jesus and they're like, hey, we really want some of that. And Jesus goes, you guys are thinking with your stomach. You missed the whole point of that. You guys are worshiping the thing that was made instead of coming to me going, whoa, if you were able to do that, what else can you do? Who are you that you were able to do this? And they totally missed this. 
And Jesus says, you guys are looking after the wrong bread. And this is their response when Jesus says, you're looking after the wrong stuff. You're thinking with your stomachs. It says in John chapter 6, verse 31, that it says, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most surely I said to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the, life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This whole moment of taking the people from death to life, bringing them to a place of Eden to tell them, I have made you a citizen of this family, a family that is for all nations, all people to come and by faith in me to trust me. And then when bitterness strikes, he says, take the tree and put the tree in the middle and just see how sweet it can be. All pointing to the cross. And then when the people run out of food and they're complaining once again, God doesn't say, I am done with this. I'm going to smoke you guys. No, he says, okay, I hear that you have a need. I'm going to provide bread and I'm going to do it every day. But there's an obedience factor. You have to go out and seek it daily. But on the sixth day, I'm going to give you a double portion so that you can rest because I want to provide for you not only for your needs, but the rest that you don't even realize that you need but can be found in him. And all of this, all of this, again, one of the few miracles that's repeated in every gospel is this breaking of the, the, the bread and the loaves. And you go, okay, what was it about this thing? It's because all of it was a setup for Jesus to say, I'm the bread. I'm the bread that's come from heaven. I'm the one who will provide for your daily need. I'm the one that will give you rest. Let's finish up. We're going to move into chapter 17 real quick. It says, then all the congregation of Israel set out from their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses. Now, again, this could be very judgmental of us, but let's be honest. The hungry is real. If you guys have those moments where you go, okay, I haven't had enough to drink. I haven't had enough to eat. We can get a little bit testy. For some reason, things that people normally do that we think are okay. Suddenly, it's the most annoying thing in the world. So again, now in this moment, remember, there's about 2 million people, and it's just all the congregation are going, we're thirsty, and if you don't find us some water, well, let's see what they're about to do. Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Uh, let's go to, uh, why have you brought us out of Egypt to kill us, our children, our livestock? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to these people? They are almost ready to stone me. So the hungry is real. The thirst is real. They're at this place and Moses is going, God, they, they are picking up stones. And if you've ever been to Israel, there's this joke that the Jews like to tell that God uh, gave different responsibilities to different angels. And one of the angels was supposed to you know, be the one who spread rock around the world. And you know, one of them went over here and spread some rock. One of them went over here on the earth. And one of them came to Israel and went, ah, that's good enough, and just dumped the whole thing. The place is littered with rocks. There's rocks everywhere. So now you've got two to three million people looking at Moses with the hungry, and they're picking up stones. And Moses is freaking out. And the Lord says, Raise that staff 
and start smacking them upside the head. You let them know that, no, let's go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Taking your hand your rod and smack them in the head. Oh, no, no. With which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock. Not the people. Take the people to this rock. And I'm going to stand on this rock. And I want you to smack and strike that rock. And water will come out of it. That the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because, Meribah because the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord not among us? So they're picking up these stones. They're thirsty. They're ready to kill Moses. And, and this guy, what am I going to do? I want you to go to this rock. And again, let's think back to this Red Sea moment. This is not logical stuff. This is just obedience. Go to the rock and hit the rock. Oh, so they know I'm really angry? No, because I'm going to provide water from that. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to provide for them. I've given them their bread, and now I'm going to show them that I will provide from the rock, from the rock water. Again, in John chapter 6, Jesus picks up the imagery of the bread from heaven. In John chapter 7, Jesus is at one of the, these great day feasts. In fact, in John chapter 7, 37, it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast. Again, this is where about one to three million Jews, they came to celebrate this moment we just read. And they had a great feast. And what they would do is they would take um, from the, the pool of Siloam at Hezekiah's tunnel and they would walk from this place and, and the priests would take these pitchers of waters and they'd go up onto the Temple Mount and day after day for about seven days they would take this and it was supposed to be quiet. They would hoof up these giant things of water and not make a sound as they're quiet. And then what would happen is on the, the eighth day, during the size of, they would pour this water out onto the temple ground and it would be like a rush of water because it was all, it was a symbolism calling back to this moment because when Moses struck that rock, it was like a torrent came flooding out of there. And so they had this imagery there. And all of that is they understood that this moment that we just read here in Exodus 17 that was celebrated in John by this, it was all looking forward to the Messiah. And in John chapter 7, they're, they're having this, this quiet celebration. And it's the day, and they start to pour out the water. They go to pour out the water, and it says in John chapter 7 that Jesus stood up crying out. It is a moment of silence to see the torrents of water. And Jesus stands up in the middle of this quiet ceremony and cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. They are anticipating the coming of the Messiah, this moment that the Israelites experienced as they went from this hungry to this thirsty and God provided the food and the water and Jesus had told them just before the ceremony started I'm the bread from heaven and now they're in their quiet ceremony as they dump out that water he stands in front of all of them and says I'm the one who gives living water first Corinthians chapter 10 would tell us this moreover brethren I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea all were baptized into Moses with the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, the manna, all drank the spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 
Paul is letting us know that this moment that you just read of this rock that was struck to provide living water, that Jesus declares, I'm that rock. I'm the one. All of this was forward-looking. So as we close out this moment of of this manna and this rock that was struck, I I would just want to leave you guys that, again, Jesus is our rock, struck open to give us living water, his water that we would never thirst again and that our souls would know satisfaction. For anyone who feels unease, who feels lacking, who feels empty, who doesn't know what that is, Jesus says, I've come to give you a life and give it to the full, that out of you would flow living water. In Acts, we're told that the Holy Spirit will come upon us and that imagery is the imagery, that word upon is an overflow, that as the Holy Spirit would fill your life, that it would come upon you as a fountain overflowing. Jesus is the word made flesh That is, he is our daily bread to sustain us. And again, that imagery is so purposeful. I was just talking with Jonathan earlier. I get it, guys. I wish we had this giant vat of miracles that were just like, okay, when I need a miracle, when I'm feeling it, I I can just go grab from it as I I need. And God goes, no, 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 that's not how it's going to go. It's going to go cup by cup, day by day, a reminder of returning that we're not just, you know, that we can't just you know, load our sack with all the Jesus stuff that we need and when we need it, we use it. But he's like, no, this is gonna be a daily thing. But no, he's like, there are moments I'm gonna provide you with so much that you can just rest, not to worship the things that have been provided, but the one who does the providing. All of this to show us the tree of God. That by faith, we are taken through the valley of the shadow of death into his garden home. And he has made us a citizen of God's family. That is an offer that God has made to the entire world. He is the rock of living water, the daily bread of heaven, who by the tree of Calvary can take any bitter circumstance in your life and make it sweet. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, I just pray that again as we hear this message of just your tree that takes our bitter circumstances and make it sweet, that we would recognize that if you would step down from eternity to take on this human form, allow yourself to be betrayed, beaten, and murdered for our eternal salvation, well, that we can trust you for our daily bread. Father, thank you for your, your word that fills that hunger, your water that we would never thirst and that would overflow us. And Father, I just pray for anyone in this room who is feeling just, again, empty, lacking, maybe even alone and bitter. God, that they know that they can turn to you, the one who says, I take from death to life and I will turn the bitter sweet. Father, we just thank you for all that you've done in our life and all that you have planned. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797 My name is Bryce. 
and you are no mere mortal.